0: Hey, this is John from the Human Advancement Podcast. Today, I'm just going to bring you up to speed on a program that we've done. So we've been getting a lot of questions about how our athletes have been trained in the past, and I try to do my best to keep everyone up to date on this. The way I do that is through my ongoing internal program review series, which has been posted on a few places on the web. It's been in the online education tab on RuthlessPerformance.com, and I believe we have one on swimming science on their blog uh, that details one of our programs that we've done in the past. So today I'm just gonna kinda give you a bit of an overview of one of our programs. Now this is one we we did last summer. This was three months into what I would call an elite level swimmers training with us. Now he was an elite level swimmer, but not necessarily an elite level strength and conditioning athlete at the time. So though he was pretty advanced in the pool, A lot of what we had to do in dry land was somewhat regressed, though this is three months into his training with us, so we were able to move along pretty nicely by this point. But no two programs are going to be alike. We take a lot of things into consideration, be it limb length, medical history, athletic history, uh, the specific needs of the individual based off of what their sport is, what they have dominances in. So there's a lot going into this, so every program is going to be different. But that being said, there's a lot of things that you're going to see that are similar from one program to the next, specifically as as an athlete is as young as this one is relative to their training status with ruthless performance. So the younger an athlete is and the less time they spend with us, the more similar the programs are going to be. So just bear that in mind that though you might not have trained with us and though our programs are extremely specialized, If you do train with us in the future, you might see some things from this program that sound familiar, and hopefully we'll be able to explain to you why that might be today. Now, Any program with Ruthless Performance starts with a general warm-up. Regardless of how many times per week you train with us, there is usually going to be a pretty similar warm-up routine from one day to the next. Now there's a general warm-up. Now, if you're just listening, just as an aside here, if you're just listening to the audio-only version of this, you can find a PDF copy of the program that I'm going through at ruthlessperformance.com slash summerprogram. At that link, you'll be able to find all of the downloadable PDFs that will coincide with this. But otherwise, if you're just listening, I'm going to do the best I can to keep you up to date as well. So with with this Athletes' Warm-Up Series... One of the things that we're taking into consideration is not only his training age and what we're training for, but the time of day that we're training him. So this was an early morning athlete where he was training with us probably before 10 a.m. As a teenager, that early in the morning is right around the end period for when an, when a teenager should anticipate, experience some of its, their deepest sleep cycles. And they actually have a a very skewed sleep-wake cycle, which is why uh, teenagers tend to go to sleep later and wake up later. It's not just some some rebellious tendency, but it's actually rooted in science. But having to train this athlete this early is is what it is because, you know, there's other things going on in an athlete's life, life, be it jobs or occupation, schooling, whatever. So what we need to do is get this athlete woken up as early as we can and and as fast as we can because we have we have work to do we start with the reverse lunge as opposed to something like you know sitting on a stationary bike for five minutes just to warm the heart rate up Uh, what the reverse lunge does specifically is it works on that posterior chain so right away as soon as we get in the gym we're building that posterior chain if you've ever heard of a strength and conditioning coach talk they'll talk about something this this posterior chain and what that basically means is it's all of the butt the muscles along the backside of the body, be it the lower back, the butt, and the hamstrings predominantly. So what this reverse lunge is doing pretty well is as soon as the athlete gets in the gym, we're training him his on some bodyweight exercises where he's, where he's working those hamstrings and working that butt just a little bit just to get him moving. The way we actually program the reverse lunge is what we call flow-based so rather than performing all of the reps subsequently in the same spot with our reverse lunge what we like to do is actually have the athlete perform the reverse lunges backwards over space so they'll actually be moving through space backwards on say turf and right after that we get into the mount climber so this is pretty much your traditional what you would see in you know uh, a gym class of a mountain climber but what we're doing here is actually there's we have a note here that this is a progressive mountain climber so when an exercise is progressive what we're trying to do in in this case is get the athlete to be going faster and faster by the last rep so what we're trying to do is wake that athlete up with the reverse lunge and we're trying to do the same thing with the mountain climber by focusing so quickly on speed we're Taking a good bit of central nervous system activation. This is one of those good things to get an athlete woken up. You'll see the same thing with this rock and roll with pause, and what that does is it it gives us a chance to kind of decompress the spine and alleviate some of the pressure from that cerebrospinal fluid that pools in the near in and around the spine overnight. The cerebrospinal fluid serves its place throughout the night by kind of by removing some of the accumulated waste products around the spine. But in the morning, we need that gone so that the spine and the spinal mechanics moves better than it might otherwise without removing it this early in the morning. That's one of the reasons that people in this past have said that you're not going to get your best strength output in the morning. It usually has a lot to do with, with some dated notions regarding the cerebrospinal fluid. But you can mitigate a lot of that just by doing some spinal drills. And that's also what we're doing with that half-kneeling thoracic rotation. The half-kneeling banded thoracic rotation is an exercise I believe I took from a physical therapist in Canada named Dean Somerset. He's a pretty good resource on corrective exercises. But between this half-kneeling banded thoracic rotation and the rock and roll, What both of these exercises are doing are helping to mobilize that spine. Now, most people think you want a really rigid spine, but for best power transfer, particularly in a full body athlete like you would see in a swimmer, you want that spine to be able to move a good bit. But then with the last exercise in the general warm-up, what you're actually seeing is us bringing some blood flow back into the traps and kind of re-stabilizing that spine with that band face pull. That band and face pull is a fantastic exercise to do on a daily basis shortly before any kind of exercise. Now this just gives the athlete a better shelf to do any kind of upper body work from. But overall, band and face pulls are something that you see in the majority of our programs, and that's just because of what it does in, in helping to save the traps. Most of our programs have a pretty big propensity for building traps and glutes. I think those are two of the most underrepresented and most important areas of the body for athlete development. Now, once we get through this whole general warm up complex that an athlete will do every morning that they're with us, again, the exercises are different, but an athlete will tend to have some kind of similar warm up complex from day to day. After that, we'll get into the activation drills where it gets a little bit more specific to whatever their strength work is for that day. So, in the days one and three, Activation drills for this athlete. What we're doing is an isometric hamstring curl. So the A1 here is the isometric hamstring curl. A2 is a kettlebell cervical rotation from bridge. And those two are going to be done back to back. So week one, it doesn't matter too much because there's only one set of each exercise. The B1, which is done by itself as a standalone after the A1 A2 circuit, is actually something we're not going to do while the athlete is with us for the first week. That's just an easy way for us to make a progression in volume throughout the week one through four way that we we program here. So our periodization runs weeks one through four, and within those weeks, we build volume and intensity. So week one is more about central nervous system and motor recruitment, so athletes kind of learning new exercises. They'll actually get more adapted from the perspective of the neuromuscular system. Then as we get into week two, three, and four, it becomes more about building strength and conditioning in the traditional sense. Then after week four, in, rather than deloading an athlete, what we'll do is we'll, we'll swap back to a week one, but on new exercises that are more specific to the athlete as we move forward. So we're, we're perpetually assessing these athletes and seeing what exercises they need most and then throwing them into their following cycle as long as it makes sense for us to do so. So we have an isometric hamstring curl. It's a fantastic exercise for everyone. We want to work those hamstrings a, a good bit, especially with, with swimmers, a swimming population. You see knee pain left and right, particularly with breaststrokers, but that's not just the case with swimmers. You see that in soccer players. You see that with tennis players. You see that with football players. You see that with baseball players. It's common across the board. Strong hamstrings mitigate knee pain. Kettlebell cervical rotations from bridge is just a way to help mobilize that, not just the thoracic spine like you see with that half kneeling banded thoracic rotation in the warm-up, but the cervical rotations actually help with neck pain and mitigating any kind of issues at the neck and ensuring that an athlete is going to be better off. Again, this is a program, a dry land and strength and conditioning program for a swimmer. And one of the reasons we have cervical rotations from the bridge in here is this is an athlete that breathes specifically to one side. So the kettlebell cervical rotations from bridge is in here to help get that athlete more range of motion in both directions. Again, RKC plank, we don't have it all in the first week because we throw that in week two to help build up the athlete's total training volume as we progress to week four. And then as a standalone activation drills for day two, which is the plyometric day for this athlete, we start out with activation drills that include unilateral box jump, banded frog thrust, and then bear dog by itself. The unilateral box jump and the banded frog thrust are going to be done together. Unilateral box jump is not to a very high box at all. I believe with this athlete, uh, I took out the the numbers here, but I believe it was somewhere around a six-inch box. All we're doing is trying to separate the function of the legs as opposed to having the, the legs constantly being restricted to the other leg. So by doing this, the legs can actually get stronger. The banded frog thrust just helps facilitate glute activation which is something we're always looking for in our athletes. Bear dog is something we have in here for both glutes and traps and it works uniquely in that it does both of those things while in a a bear dog position. So you This might be an unusual exercise. You might not have heard of something like this before. But this is basically a bird dog, but from a bear crawl position. So as opposed to a bird dog where the knee is on the ground, this is from a bear crawl position where that knee is actually off the ground. And then you're raising that alternate arm, alternate leg simultaneously. Just trying to build up a little bit of proprioception in this athlete. So after we do our activation drills, regardless of the day, we'll move into our primary strength work. Almost every exercise we do is going to be paired with a second exercise. This just allows for us to get more work in a shorter period of time without having athletes just kind of sit around from one set to the next to regain strength on each exercise. This way, more work, less time, we get a lot done. One of the first exercises I always start our athletes out with is the Dumbbell Goblet Squat. This helps reinforce good position on a squat Usually, we'll use a dumbbell goblet box squat, but in this case, I felt confident enough in this athlete that they had the ability to perform a goblet squat without doing it to a box, which is a further regression from this. But what we actually had this athlete do with the goblet squat was push-ups. And rather than prescribing the push-ups to a certain set rep scheme, we actually have them do it to uh to max reps. So we're really trying to push volume on push-ups with this athlete. Not something we do on a regular basis, just something I feel confident with that we should do with this athlete to help get more push volume, which is something I was looking for. Now, again, as you'll see, like I said, we go from weeks one, two, three, and then four, adding more sets and more reps almost every single week. We also tried to progress the amount of weight used from one week to the next. Like I said, this would have been completely filled out as this athlete had completed this while he was with us. But I I just removed these just for simplicity. So there's not more on this page than needs to be. But after their primary circuit for the day, which in this case is that dumbbell goblet squat and the push-ups, the secondary circuit was inverted rows or what people in the CrossFit community might call ring rows and Nordic hamstring curls. Now this is actually a pretty challenging circuit. So not only is this challenging in that inverted rows are tough to begin with, we made it even worse by putting his feet on the bench. So with the feet up, it really puts the athlete, first of all, in a very disadvantageous position by mechanically speaking. But in addition to that, it also puts a lot more weight on the athlete. Then we paired that with the Nordic hamstring curls. Nordic hamstring curls are pretty tough. What we are primarily doing with these nordics is we are actually using more of a more of an effort on the negative. So the athletes on the Nordic hamstring machine and they're focusing on trying to lower themselves as slowly as they can with their hamstrings. As they get to the bottom, they're doing a push-up back to the top, and then repeating. So they'll do the first set of the inverted rows, followed by the first set of the Nordic hamstring curls, and back to back on these. Again, we are focusing on those traps to a great degree, and we're focusing on that posterior chain, and this circuit does both of those things. If you are a capable athlete, this is something I recommend you could do, but this is actually not for not for the faint of heart. Again, by this point, I was training this athlete for three months, so they had experience in working on their traps. They had experience in working on their hamstrings, and we were really just trying to push it and get some extra volume in before they went back into the pool for the preseason in the fall. Banded triceps pushdowns. Triceps work is always a good idea, particularly for swimmers. In one of my last trips to Westside Barbell in Columbus, Ohio, uh, Louis Simmons had had told me that he thinks that the triceps are one of the performance muscles in swimmers, and I, I believe that to a certain degree. Now, this was actually done in a matter of as few sets as possible rather than a prescribed amount of sets. So what we do here is we prescribe reps. In week one, it was 30. In week two, it was 40. In weeks three and four, it was 50 and we want the athlete to perform these total reps in as few sets as possible. This is not a style that we traditionally do exercises in, particularly because it can lead to injury with bigger, more compound exercises. But with something like this, it's perfectly fine to have a grind exercise like this. So this is just a lot of effort, a, a lot of injury, a lot, not injury, but damage being occurred in those triceps. And when that micro trauma that's the damage I'm talking about, when that micro trauma occurs, the athlete can actually come back stronger and better and more ready to swim. Then after that, what the athlete went into is a complex of elevated front foot lunges with goblet dumbbell and kettlebell swings. Now, this is a bit of a conditioning circuit for this athlete because what we want this athlete to do is complete these exercises in the shortest time possible. So we'll we'll record the weight on each of these exercises. We'll also record the time it takes to complete each set. We'll record the rest between each set, and we'll record the totality of the time it takes to record to, to finish the D complex as a whole. In doing so, we have a lot of data points that we can improve, and we can improve all of them within a four-week period, especially when an athlete's training age is as young as this. In the day two with this athlete, we are looking at what is us trying to transition him into doing more plyometric work. Rear foot elevated split squat jumps and overhead med ball slams comprise his, his primary circuit for the day. Very good exercises all around, especially if are building up athleticism. And like I was talking about, that, that that plyometric strength, that just elasticity in the muscles. Rear foot elevated split squats are a good exercise. The rear foot elevated split squat jump is, is pretty advanced progression. In week one, we're only doing two, uh, two sets of six on the rear foot elevated split squats. And we're only doing two sets of 10 on the overhead med ball slams. Though this isn't much, what we're trying to focus on here is getting the athlete performing these in appropriate patterns so as we add more reps and sets later on throughout the program, it will be done with better technique. From there, we progress into secondary circuit. This one includes dumbbell push press, Russian twist with med ball, and contralateral kettlebell RDL. And these are pretty tough exercises. The dumbbell push press will do one arm at a time. This allows the athlete to move through space a little bit more efficiently. to catch that dumbbell overheads more safely. It makes it a little bit more shoulder friendly. In the case of the Russian twist with med ball, we're constantly looking at, at rotary exercises, especially in a rotary sport like swimming. Contralateral kettlebell RDL is one of my favorite exercises for just building athleticism and that posterior chain. All three of these done together is pretty fantastic. Dumbbell push press gets a little bit of quadriceps work in the legs, but it's balanced by that contralateral kettlebell RDL that you see as the B3 in this. And the Russian twist is a pretty good standalone, kind of working in opposition to that the, the lower back that you see in the contralateral kettlebell RDL, and it just makes for an overall pretty good circuit, especially on something where we're trying to slowly indoctrinate the athlete into the world of plyometrics. Now for the athlete's conditioning work for this day, we do a circuit of farmer's carry and low handle prowler push. We're doing as many sets as possible here within a certain time cap. I like this here with the distances that we're doing because though the distances are very short, over the period of the totality of the time cap, the distance starts to add up. But by keeping the distances short at any given time, the technique stays a little bit better than it would if you just let an athlete go for an extended distance all at once. Again, just like in our day one, this conditioning circuit gives us a lot of data metrics that we can improve. We can improve the the weight, in the athlete's farmer's carry. We can improve the weight on the prowler. We can improve the time it takes to do the farmer's carry. We can improve the time it takes to do the prowler push. We could decrease the rest times between each set. And we could try to decrease the totality of the time it takes to complete this circuit. All of which are what we are striving for throughout the month. And again, we we strive to get all of those improved. For the final day of this athlete's three-day training program, we're working on barbell overhead press and 180-degree hip extension. Getting an athlete overhead is always important, especially when you have an athlete who is inherently in, in an overhead sport. So that's primarily football or baseball or swimming, anything where the arms are overhead regularly. That overhead press this is a fantastic tool for not only building an overhead athlete, but for also determining their, their viability in that overhead position. If an athlete can overhead press pain-free, we're in business. What we don't want to do is try to give an athlete an overhead press too soon in their career. A barbell overhead press is actually a pretty tough exercise to, to complete. We'll progress, Before we get to that point, we'll do a dumbbell overhead press or something like that as a regression. 180-degree uh, hip extension is a great exercise. A lot of the time, I don't like how it's performed, where athletes will try to go up as high as they can. What we're actually trying to do is just look for glute activation. The, the load we use on this is relatively light. We don't really go much more than with a heavy med ball. So that kind of helps keep that spine in a big, kyphotic rounded position, which is something that you're usually not looking forward to but we, we, we want that rounded position around that med ball because it takes that lower back out of the equation and makes this more of a glute exercise. So between that barbell overhead press and that 180 degree hip extension, we are really getting a lot of glute and trap development. Again, that's two of the things that we strive for with our athletes on an almost daily basis. The B circuit here today is more focused on trunk development. So the overhead med ball toss, we're building up that, the strength of that low back, getting it to work in combination with those arms. Uh, this is the closest we come to something like sports specificity, where we're trying to get this athlete to get close to a, a triple extension, like you'll see on the start of a, of a swimming event. Barbell rollouts are a great ab exercise. Swimmers tend to want to do those more than they should. But in the case of a barbell rollout, the eccentric strain on the abs make for a fantastic exercise, without worrying too much about spinal compression or any kind of shearing on the spine. So we'll do those two together, to kind of help balance each other out. Then, as a standalone for a shoulder exercise, we'll do a front plate raise. Now, there's a few ways you could perform this. The way we like to do it is with like a uh, a big bumper plate with the hands on each side, almost like you're holding a steering wheel bringing it from the upper thigh all the way up overhead until the shoulders are about touching the ears. Not something we do off the bat, but once an athlete has proven effective in the weight room, this is one that we're pretty comfortable with. Uh, Going fully overhead like that helps build up the entirety of the shoulder girdle, not just those delts that you might see so frequently with some of the smaller isolation exercises. This also helps build up the serratus, things like that. Then, this athlete has, rather than just a single conditioning exercise, this athlete actually has two, and the one is independent of the other. So this isn't a complex like you see in days one and days two. With the stone-to-shoulder, we're using atlas stones, and we're just bringing them up to shoulder height. So, pretty traditional strongman stuff here, big cement um, stones and we're doing them on an interval of one minute. Some people like to do these all to one side. I try to get the athlete to alternate either in the set or from one set to the next, just to kind of create a little bit more symmetry than they might otherwise be seeing if you just kind of let it go unaddressed. And then we give them the remainder of the minute as rest. So the way this starts is, we'll start with a small Atlas stone and we'll start the clock at the same time. Athlete does five reps. Whatever time is left within that minute, the athlete has to rest. But then at the start of the second minute, the athlete is doing the second set of the stone-to-shoulder. After that, we have the Concept 2 Rower. The Concept 2 Rower is a fantastic conditioning tool. In the case of this particular athlete, all we're looking for is a single set of a 500 meters for the first three weeks. And on week four, when the volume is really high, it's the athlete's absolute last training exercise before he goes into a week one, is a thousand meter. So what we're trying to get, what we're striving for here with the metrics is by week four, we want the athlete to be able to complete the thousand in less than double the time it takes them to do the 500 in week one. That's how we're really making sure that we're progressing. But those metrics might change from one athlete to the next. And this particular athlete, I'm pretty sure that's the case without looking actually at the numbers themselves. But that's the entirety of this program. I like going over these programs. I, you know, from the perspective of education, we have nothing to hide here. We put so much attention to detail in these programs that it's never something that we're just trying to be, uh, we're not trying to hide in a veil of secrecy or anything like that. So anytime you have any questions about our programs, you can feel free to send them to info at ruthlessperformance.com or reach out on our contact page at info. Over at uh, ruthlessperformance.com slash contact. And again, if you want to see where we're getting these metrics, what the actual sheets look like that I'm talking about here, just to kind of familiarize yourself with our programming, you could see that at ruthlessperformance.com slash summer program. You could always follow us on Instagram and Twitter at ruthlessperform, And that is about it for today.